the Free Speech Coalition. Free Speech Coalition. The Free Speech Coalition. Free Speech Coalition. The Free Speech Coalition. The Free Speech Coalition. Podcast. Welcome to the Free Speech Coalition podcast. My name is Patrick Korsh, and today I'm sitting down with Stephen Franks, constitutional lawyer and leading member of the Free Speech Coalition. And we're here to discuss our upcoming appeal in the Court of Appeal. Our listeners will know that last year the Free Speech Coalition funded a judicial review of the Auckland, of the regional facility's Auckland Live decision to cancel the speaking event of Stefan Molyneux and Lauren Southern. Now, the event was... Uh, officially uh, cancelled over health and safety concerns, and we assert that the decision uh, was made prematurely and was not justified, and that it breached civil liberties, and it was politically influenced um, by uh, the mayor, Mr. Phil Goff. The High Court dismissed our application, um, and the Free Speech Coalition believes the decision was wrong, and we're appealing it. So, Stephen... The first thing I want to ask is, what were we seeking from the high court initially? Initially, we we um, were applying for an, an interim injunction to stop um, the, the, the cancellation. We realized that it was too late. Uh, there was um, not enough time to go to the courts and, and get an actual uh, injunction made. So the, the, the event was canceled. Um, so what was this what was this long form proceeding about? The the initially the, the application was also joined by the organising um, company that they'd set up for this tour, a company called Axiomatic. Uh, it actually went broke. Hmm. The um, tours had cost a lot of money because there was a whole lot of um, hostility everywhere, and they'd, they'd put a lot of money into security uh, in Australia and here. In all of the other venues, they went ahead without um, disruption, and Australians got to hear the arguments and indeed to present arguments because a big thing about free speech and freedom of assembly is not just that speakers, it's not a speaker's right to, to um, ensure that people hear them. It's actually the right of people who want to listen mm. and possibly to disagree and people who want to hear other people's questions and other people's disagreements. So we, we decided despite the main plaintiff, the company that had been wronged, um, ceasing to have an interest in it, that it should go ahead as a matter of public interest that threats or a, an organisation claiming to be acting in response to threats of violence uh, should not be allowed to shut down free speech. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe the remedy that we were seeking was a declaration. Can you explain to our li- listeners what a declaration from the court would do and why is that, why is that important? Uh, it's the judges giving guidance for the future. Mm. The, the, the judges in our system, judges don't like dealing with hypotheticals. Mm. They don't like very much being asked to rule on um, on possibilities. So the law develops by looking at particular cases and deciding whether what's been done was right or wrong. And so we were asking them to say, this is past, but on these facts, uh, please state what the council, what rules the council should have been applying or the um, the delegates who control the council venues and tell them that they have to, they are bound just as a public, any other public body would be to uphold the um, principles of free speech in the New Zealand Bill of Rights Act and the uh, principles against discrimination mm-hmm. in in the use of public facilities on the basis of political opinion. Right. 
So secondly, then, um, go, going into our actual application to the, the high court, um, what is necessary for us to prove to have a successful judicial review? I, th- I think there, there, there's a question of um, justiciability. There is um, the decision has to confer, has to be um, through an authority of power, like conferred power through statute or legislation, and then there has to be proper grounds yeah. made out, right? If you're boiling it down, the 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 judges have developed a, a lot of ways of looking at how decisions have been made mm. and saying that didn't um, that didn't approach it with the right procedure. Strictly right. in our system, the judges are not supposed to substitute their view on the substance of a matter for that of the decision maker who's got the power. But what they can do and do readily is say did the decision maker um, ensure that they had the right information? Mm. Did they give the right uh, weight and consideration to it? Did they take into account the other matters and duties or did they discount them? Um, so that that a judicial review uh, in our system is not just going to the judge and saying, this was wrong, uh, you should change it. It's going saying the decision maker who had the power didn't apply themselves properly. They used improper or irrelevant considerations. Mm. Uh, they didn't. They might have been misled. Um, we want you to tell them. Usually, they say, um, "Go go back and think again. This time, applying the right criteria." Right. Right. And in, the, in this particular circumstance, it was too late for that. It was too late for that. Yeah, that's right. why we're looking for a declaration. Right. We're really looking. This was Auckland, New Zealand's biggest city. This was the mayor of our biggest city mm. with um, more venues and more likelihood of important public dis- discussion than any other city in New Zealand. The mayor had boasted on radio that he had blocked it because he considered the views to be divisive. Yeah. Well, most nearly all the advances in our civilization have been by people who were originally considered to be highly divisive. It was very divisive at one stage uh, to consider that um, the church could be questioned. It was extremely divisive originally to decide that to consider that slavery was immoral. It, nearly every change has been because someone has argued something considered to be divisive. And this here's a mayor saying, uh, I don't like the views of these people and so I'm going to make sure they can't they can't uh, use public space in Auckland to to present them. So you're saying that um, it, Mayor Goff it was applying the same sort of uh, censorship that the church did to a Galileo or uh, a Martin Luther. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's in the same category. It's I mean, the... we've got much more recent examples in New Zealand. Mm. Um, 150 years or 120 years ago, the Salvation Army was a very powerful force for temperance against mm. against drinking at a right. time when, um, you know, there were awful stories. There wasn't a welfare system and workmen could drink away their whole their whole income and leave their, their, their children starving, starving in rags. So the Salvation Army was a very active uh, force against um, excessive drinking, against drinking. So the publicans hated them and the breweries hated them. Yeah. And the breweries ganged up with established religion who also didn't like them because they were... Um, On compe- the fringes, They yeah. were competing yeah. for, for followers. And so uh, the Anglican and Catholic uh, and, and other established religions ganged up with the brewing and the publican interests and persuaded local councils in various places in New Zealand to ban 
um, public playing of instruments because the Salvation Army often had bands and to ban processions and to ban them from um, going near pubs and from expressing views that were going to make drinkers feel uncomfortable. So this has been a... It's, it's a, there's nothing new in any of this. Right. Uh, the, the enemies of free speech have always found majority support right. for their views and the whole point of free speech is so that people who've got unpopular views uh, will be protected by the law. Right. So proper grounds for judicial review. What were our grounds then? So say you know, we'll, we'll get to the, the judge's decision. I don't think there was proper analysis of, of, of the grounds. We didn't even get to that point. But, you know, had, had we proven uh, or had we um, You're, convinced... D- 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 don't ask me to run through the, the, no. te- the technicalities. No, I mean, fair. I, I just say that. It's just that we have to uh, channel the arguments into some recognised car- categories. That's how our legal system works. Yeah. But if you're boiling it down, we said they were... Um, they were... They, they, management or the uh, control of these venues, the Aotea Centre, was vested in a body that decided that the mayor had expressed a view that he was uncomfortable about these speakers being heard. Mm. They say they got a threat from uh, an Auckland protest group to block the entrance. They then, uh, according to their evidence, uh, considered it and decided within two hours that it would be too dangerous yeah. to allow it to proceed. They didn't speak to the police, although they claimed to the organisers that they had spoken to the police. They didn't invite the organisers to provide evidence of how they were dealing with security risks elsewhere. Um, or, I'm sorry, they, they said, please give us your, your statement on this, but it, under the contract they only had to do that 10 days before the event. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they didn't give them a chance to even talk about the nature of the precautions and the security which had been put provided at the expense of the organisers in the other venues. So it looked pretty trumped up. It looked as if they wanted to block the um, the speech because of the particular views that they expected to be expressed right. and just cancelled. Right. So this is essentially because of the thug's veto. Yes. This was, this was yeah. And, and that's and that's a it's been an issue in human rights law everywhere. It's very very easy for any ruler who doesn't want um, to who, who doesn't want unpopular views expressed, and particularly views that that could challenge them or their position. It's always been possible for them to say uh, by suppressing them, we're just doing the, the sensible thing to avoid public disorder. Mm. Uh, this is so elementary that when the judge came out and dismissed our case as not even being in the public interest, I have to say I, I've known that judge for a long time. I think it was fanciful. I think it was actually a disgraceful statement. Yeah, because yeah, I believe that we um, later on uh, applied for protection of costs. And um, in, in that particular judgment, um, uh, his honor said that this was a bit of a personal crusade by those um, two individuals. Two individuals, yeah. Yeah. and there was um, n- there was no there was no uh, there was no public interest whatsoever. Yeah. Now I was there in the courtroom. The gallery was packed, mm. and, um, they, and having discussions with several of the gallery members, they were all there um, in support of free speech, and they were very concerned. So I, I, I mean, those were members of the public. I, yeah. I don't know how, and I, I do. I, I've read the judgment, and the 
the packed gallery was actually mentioned in the high court judgment. So I, I don't know why he would have de- why he would have decided that this wasn't of public interest. Mm. Well, then why did we fa- why did we fail at the high court? What was the, what was the? He said he got he had several reasons. Um, first, he said it was not. Um, a property that was subject to the duties that are incumbent on public agencies and government right. agencies. He said it was essentially governed by private law as it was privately controlled property. Yeah. By that he didn't mean that it was private individuals, but he meant that it was under a trust that could run it as a commercial operation and was not obliged to treat the services it provided as if they were discharging a public duty of providing public facilities. Now, given that Auckland City has handed over nearly all of its venues to this body, yeah. and given that it's under trust deed, which refers to the um, public purposes, and given that there isn't any other way in, in, that a town hall functions can be discharged, it was an extraordinary provision, an extraordinary decision. Mm. I, mean, I, I, I would have thought that it just went without question that they would accept that it was... Um, Subject or ought to be subject to the um, protections that the law has created on people who have stewardship of, of public assets and public powers. Mm. Um, so, but he said no. It's um, in the form of a, a, a private trust, and uh, therefore they don't have to feel that they don't have to take into account the public duties to protect free speech. In essence, then you the the duty that the Auckland Council has to Protect free speech. Protect yeah. free speech has been passed off to a, a privately a private construction of trust, and Auckland Council can say we've discharged our duties. It's still being managed by this this other body that we've set up. But then the no, that, it, it's it's not quite as straightforward as that because they they don't say they have passed on their duties. Mm. They say we've passed on our assets. Right, and now that we no longer control them. Those duties do not apply because right. it's not it's not a public authority that's exercising the power. I mean, I it's so specious. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've, I've looked around internationally. Um, if, if you think of countries that have faced serious problems of public disorder, and you know where where their their cultural traditions are of pretty violent protest, right. even in the German federal court uh, has pretty clear authority that a body that's partly public, partly private, like an airport, which has got, um, you know, private shareholders as well as public, has to uphold the fundamental human rights. And it, for example, had to allow um, demonstrators against deportation, um, reasonable space to express their views when deportees were being taken out. the, The court said you... You, of course, can have restrictions that are related to safety and, and recognise the reality of it. But for a New Zealand court to say that the equivalent of a town hall um, wasn't invested with some sort of um, public space uh, protection is just extraordinary. Mm-hmm. So then going on, what what are we going to tell the Court of Appeal on the 6th of August? Um, we, we respectfully disagree with his honour, um, and, and, and how do we ask for a correction? What, what, what do we say? 
we're going back to really run the legal arguments again. Mm-hmm. In, in appeal, typically the uh, court doesn't reconsider the evidence. It treats the the judge who heard the first case as having had a better opportunity to consider the evidence. But in this case, the evidence is very, very um, significant. Mm. Um, we, we really are saying the judge misdirected him or, or misconstrued the legal significance of all of these things and was wrong on pretty much everything. So it's very much like a second run of the first case, but um, with this time um, the Human Rights Commission was extraordinarily was, was opposed essentially the first time, but this time we do have at least the Human Rights Commission putting in an argument, most of which refers to cases which support us. Interesting. They've done a 180 like that. Yeah. Well, I'd say they might – it's it's quite um, – I'd call it limp. Right. But but at least it's informative. Um, previously they'd confined themselves to to essentially tutting at, at our case. Right. Now there was one. There was one um, further um, element, I think, of the the, uh, the review. And besides that of, of grounds and whether or not public power was was executed or not, the um, regional facilities Auckland had a particular f- public function to provide these platforms. There's an issue of standing here too. Now earlier on in the podcast, you said that um, Axiomatic the had gone bankrupt. The mm. the the event organizer mm. that that was in direct co- uh, contract. Um, with the council. Our two applicants here are a private citizen, a concerned Aucklander, and a ticket holder. Do you see any issue um, going into this case that we might fail on the standing? The courts are keen not to make it easy for busybodies mm. to cause trouble, just to start litigation and, and, and cause cost and, and um, delay and disturbance because the, because they don't like something that's happening. So standing rules are a protection against um, undue litigation. Right. But there's always been a recognition that in public interest cases um, where someone is legitimately recog- uh, is representing uh, arguments that ought to be developed, mm-hmm. that the standing rules would not be... So strictly applied, here. right. Now, in this case... We were we were stunned yeah. that that had been the view, the judge took the view that this was a sort of personal frolic by these these two characters. I mean, the one with the ticket in yeah. particular, because as we said, the right of the freedom of speech right, the freedom of speech right, is not a right just to make a noise and to be heard. It is a right to hear, and here was someone coming and saying. Oh, my right was denied because you paid no attention to to those rights and instead you listened to thugs who said they would disrupt it. Right. And you at least should have, have um, considered the ways you could avoid that outcome. You could have got the police advice. You could have got um, our the advice of the organisers. You c- should have tried as best you could to make sure that the thugs' veto didn't, didn't work. So... Uh, on the standing question, we thought it was self-evident that someone who'd bought a ticket and really wanted to be there and had bought uh, his hotel accommodation, he had bought his tickets from Dunedin, 
um, that he'd shown that, that he'd suffered loss um, financially as well as yeah. the loss of his opportunity to form his own view on the speakers. And he said he, he had sympathy for the views of one of them but not the other and he was keen to hear the argument. And I think it's sort of funny in a way that a court could even entertain the view as it did that it wasn't really a big problem because if you wanted to know what these speakers thought, um, you could go onto the internet and you could find lots of things they'd said. Now, you imagine how a court would react if uh, if you said you don't need, need to hear the other side of the case. Um, right. They're only going to be reciting case law, which anyone can find, and we know what they're going to say because they're going to argue you, you've seen it in their... In their um, statement of claim and in their submissions. So it's a bit time-consuming and awkward and there could be a protest. Don't listen to the other side. I mean, it's just it's so preposterous, mm-hmm. yet the court accepted the view that it wasn't really very important that this be allowed to proceed and that these people didn't have a sufficient interest to justify them being allowed to argue the case. The other one, uh, the other plaintiff is probably not a sympathiser with the views at all. No. But he is extremely concerned about the precedent that um, gatherings can be shut on, on using public property can be shut down with a mere threat because he's from the Jewish community right. and there are frequent threats to Jewish gatherings by fascists and Palestinian activist groups and others. Uh, and if a council can just say, oh, the easy way out of, of um, trouble is just to make sure that we never have contentious people who want to say anything that favours Jews, uh, then that's, that's important for his community. Right. But it's important for any community. It's important for unpopular religions. It's important for unpopular political causes. It's, it's the essence of the free speech argument. Yeah, It's important for universities as well. Mm. I believe... Just weeks afterwards, Massey University pulled the same stunt with the cancellation of Dr. Don Brash's Mm. speaking event. Mm. Our listeners would remember that that was canceled on quote-unquote health and safety grounds as Mm. well, although we realized afterwards through um, an OIA request that it was fake fake and then that the vice chancellor had had a personal uh, grudge against um, uh, Dr. Brash. We want the Court Court of Appeal to look at this as they look at so many other things mm. and say, what is actually the practical effect of saying that a health and safety, can, ex, an expression of anxiety about health and safety can trump a, a human right? Yeah. The practical effect is that anyone who wants to trump a human right will express anxiety about health and safety. Yeah. And that there is, you cannot respect a legal system that allows that kind of way of evading fundamental rights. Yeah, absolutely. And so to our listener or um, someone who's just joined um, the Free Speech Coalition or is only interested in, in these sorts of things, um, what would you say to them? Why is this important? Why should they care? And maybe why should they donate to the cause? Because it's too easy for these rights to fade um, just because... It, it, it's it's a hassle yeah. to keep protecting them. Um, Phil Goff is a very experienced politician. When he said he was exercising his power to make sure that these people didn't get a, an Auckland Council platform, that's very influential. I mean, I don't know whether the Vice-Chancellor of Massey University, yeah. Jan Thomas, had that in mind or not, but... 
it becomes the new normal. Yeah. And the possibility that someone who wins politically um, and become and holds the levers of power and the keys to public facilities can so openly say, I will decide who can use these as a privilege within my gift and my power is incredibly dangerous to our democracy because what it says is you should, if you are passionate about any cause, get hold of the, the levers of power and then use them to block competing views. And not only that, sooner or later it gets used, not just competing views, it says use them to make sure you never lose power. Mm. And we know that's how our societies get, get, get swallowed up by um, dictatorships. Mm. So it's a whole lot. I think the people who donated to this first time round was around 900 people. Yeah. I think the average um, donation was... 80, I can't remember now, it's 80 to 80 or $120 or something like that. This is a cause that really ought to have an overwhelming wave of support from ordinary New Zealanders because it, it, it was an outrage and remains an outrage until it's corrected. Right. Well, thank you very much, Stephen, for joining the podcast. Um, I think the, the legal arguments that we've explored um, today um, were, would be very um, enlightening for many of our listeners um, and uh, we encourage all those who are in Auckland on the 4th and 5th of August to, um, to join in the, in, and be present in the public gallery and, uh, and show your support and uh, once again demonstrate that this is of public interest. So thank you very much, Stephen. Thank you, Patrick. If you like this podcast and wish to support the production of more episodes, you can go to www.freespeechcoalition.nz forward slash join. Be sure to add us on Facebook and Twitter and if you have any feedback, comments, or recommendations of other potential guests, email us at coalition at freespeechcoalition.nz. This has been the Free Speech Coalition podcast. See you next time.